This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 615 with Sandra Etherington. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 615. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Sandra Etherington is a mom of a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. She's the owner of Family Personalities and the co-host of the Family Personalities podcast, a show that brings personality type models into parenting. If this conversation today fascinates you as much as it does me, definitely go subscribe to her show. Sandra uses her experience and training in Myers-Briggs personality type to work with families, helping them parent more effectively and compassionately based on their children's unique wiring and needs. I am obsessed with personality types. Shout out to my good friend, Jessica Butts, who got me interested in this a few years ago. I want to know all my personality types and all of the tests and quizzes and assessments because it helps me have a better understanding of who I am and how I work best and how I can leverage my skills and strengths and innate gifts in the best ways. I believe that knowing your type gives you so much power to lean into who you truly are in all the best possible ways. And one of the things I've been really fascinated with as Vinny's gotten older is his personality typing. And it can be tricky to figure out personality typing with kids, which is why I was so excited to have Sandra come on the show. I recently met her at an event in person. And as soon as we started chatting, I was like, you have to come on the show because I want to talk about kids and type. This is a fantastic and deeply insightful conversation all around how knowing your personality type 
and your kid's personality type can be hugely beneficial and helpful in supporting your children's needs. So listen in to hear Sandra share how to use the Myers-Briggs personality test to understand how you make decisions, how you get energy, and how you take in information. She also shares how to best figure out your own Myers-Briggs type outside of the standard assessments. And then she talks about why it's so valuable to know your kid's type in order to see some of their quote unquote harder behaviors in a more positive light. This is like parenting magic to be able to put some of these pieces together. From there, she shares how to use your child's type to motivate them. And then we talk about her own experience of struggling to quote unquote, go with the flow while enduring four miscarriages and how really looking into her type and learning how to step away a little bit from her, the trauma she was enduring in order to see the bigger picture created space for her to pivot once she had a better connection to how she was internalizing her trauma related to her personality type. We also spend some time at the end talking about the NJ superpower. And I'm an NJ, so this was really fascinating to me. We talk about how NJs are exceptional, if I do say so myself, at gleaning insight, taking in data and information and curating it to create something bigger. And this is really fascinating. As I am an NJ, I think a lot of my listeners are NJs, and I also think my child might be an NJ. So this will be a really fascinating conversation, I think, no matter whether or not you know your personality type now or not, you're going to learn something and you're going to be able to put together some pieces around your kid's type that I think can be super helpful and super insightful. So with all that said, let's dive in with Sandra Etherington. Sandra, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. It's really nice to see you again. And as you know, this is my passion and I just really love the opportunity to share it with you. We're going to have a lot of fun. I already warned you that I am a super Myers-Briggs geek, and we're going to be talking a lot about Myers-Briggs today. (laughs) And I have to think, I have a really good friend, Jessica Butts, who's also a Myers-Briggs expert, and she got me into this. And once I started learning about it, I like couldn't stop learning because it has helped me connect so many dots and also really position me to understand where my strengths are and then to lead from my strengths rather than trying to lead from things that are not my strengths that just Mm. are like frustrating and exhausting. Yeah. So we're going to dig into all of that today. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. I am most excited. I am taking myself on a writing vacation next week to kick off. I'm going to be writing parenting guides for each of the 16 Myers-Briggs child types. Oh, so good. I'm really excited. And then my plan eventually is to turn those into a book, but at first they're just going to be the separate guides. And I'm just, I'm excited to have just like three or four days just to focus on that and just like let it flow and to eventually be able to release them because I think they're going to be really helpful. And I'm just really thrilled. Like this whole week is getting ready for next week, basically. Oh, I'm excited. It's funny that you're like, I'm going to go right. Like you're basically going to do a whole bunch of work, but you're so excited because first it's your passion, but also Mm -hmm. whenever as parents, we have time in isolation to focus on something. It's such a gift. So you're like, I'm going to go work for four days straight. And that sounds like it's basically vacation. It is. I'm so, <laughs> so excited. You have a six and an eight-year-old. Is that right? That's right. Yep. A six. You're going on vacation. My, my eight-year-old is almost nine now. Oh, okay. So going on vacation from the six and almost nine-year-old. So yes. there's, it's probably going to seem really quiet. I have a nine-year-old who never stops talking. So. 
<laughs> yeah. Honestly, my biggest worry is that I'm going to get a little bored and I'm someone who, you know, talking about personality type, I'm an introvert. I prefer introversion, but that's still, I'm like, I haven't in years and years been alone yeah. in a place for more than, you know, a day. If that, this is so funny. I recently was alone for 24 hours in the mountains with no phone or Wi-Fi. And which I knew I would be fine being alone for 24 hours. I love alone time, even as an extrovert, I love my alone time. Mm -hmm. But what I, a lot of times in my quote unquote alone time, I spend a lot of time connecting on social media. Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually not like that alone. And so (laughs) when I knew I was going to be alone without any connection, I kind of had this panic. And so I downloaded like six shows to my phone. And then I Mm -hmm. downloaded like 18 podcast episodes and Mm -hmm. like all these things to distract me from the fact, because in case I got lonely or like sad that I was alone for 24 hours, (laughs) I was like, I want to make sure I have some backup options. And how'd you do? It was great. I listened to a book that was amazing. So that was how I filled some of the, and worked on a puzzle. And I didn't really miss the connection as much as I thought I was going to, but I did have this, like, I have a fear of being alone. I don't know if this is a personality type thing or like my own childhood trauma or something, but like, I don't, the anticipation of being alone and disconnected is an uncomfortable, creates uncomfortable sensation for me. Mm. But then when I'm in it, I'm like, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Hey, do you know your Enneagram type? That's a great question. So I test as a two, but I don't think I am a two. And when I read the book, The Road Back to You, I did not resonate with the two as much Mm. as, I mean, it was like some of it resonated. I resonated very strongly with a one and I test, Mm. I score fairly high as a three. Mm -hmm. I don't score super high as a one when I test, but when I read the one description, which is the perfectionist and the very judgy, like all the negative things about the one resonate with me. So I'm okay. more and more thinking I'm a one. <laughs> that's, okay. So first of all, with the Enneagram two, that's the most common mistype for women and especially mm. moms. Interesting. Be- because, you know, a lot of us are kind of like raised to be that giver. And so yeah. a lot of times you can mistype as that. I mistyped as a two okay. when I first started taking it. And I also eventually landed on one And I think, you know, I'm not trained in Enneagram, but I'm an enthusiast, let's say. (laughs) I think that, you know, your type when you resonate with the negative. So the book, The Road Back to You, it was like the first chapter. It was like, don't take any tests, read through these eight or nine descriptions. And the one where you resonate with the negatives is the one that you are. And so I started reading the one and I was like, oh, yeah. It's like when you don't want to be that type, that's how you yeah. know that's what type you are. And it was like, you're really critical of the people closest to you. And I was like, no, like, I don't want people to now I have to tell people I'm a one yeah. and like, admit that I'm critical of the people close. Who, right. who am I? <laughs> yeah. So I kind of embrace like being a two, which is a giver. That sounds mm-hmm. really nice. That's very socially acceptable. Being even a three as an achiever, that's mm-hmm. kind of like a bat being a badass and like being a high achiever as a woman, like. But being a one, I was like, oh, <laughs> I know. I feel the same way every time I have to tell someone my I just thought when people ask, I'm like, well, I think I'm a one, but like, oh, I don't really know for sure. And I'm not embracing it. <laughs> so yes, I love it. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you became interested in personality typing, because I'm always interested in how people get here beyond, you know, a personal interest. So my background is actually in mathematics and I love logic puzzles and I love being able to kind of like fit a framework to something when, when everything like fits together in this nice framework, it just gives me that like happy, satisfied feeling. And so the first time that I 
learned about Myers-Briggs specifically was actually when I was working in the corporate world and the higher levels of the organization that I was in went through the Myers-Briggs training. I was not in it, but all my coworkers came out of it and we're talking about it and like sharing, you know, I think I'm this, I think I'm this. And so I became interested and I went and figured out my type. And when I figured out that my type references were INFJ and read the description on the website that I happened to be on, I had this like crazy experience of reading through this description. And like, I started like looking over my shoulder, like, is this a prank? Like who wrote this about me? Right. (laughs) Isn't it fun? Like you've been seen for the first time in your life. Yeah. And then I just wondered like, how can something that seems so basic, it just seems like these four binary things, which we can get into. It's not really, how does that get at this like core piece of me that I didn't even understand myself until I read it in these words. Mm. And so I just became deeply personally interested in it from that point. And I started using it with everyone in my life, my boyfriend at the time who became my husband. And then eventually I wondered, Hey, do my kids have a Myers-Briggs type? And once I realized they did, and that I could use that, it just became so helpful for me to, that I wanted to bring it to other people. I love it that you have this, had a need to type other people because I have this as well. And especially if I'm struggling in communication with someone or struggling to, I'm like trying to figure out where someone's coming from on something or how they're interacting in a situation. I'm always like, okay, like if I know their type, that will help me understand. Mm -hmm. And it's been really interesting for me, recognizing specifically um, women who are thinkers. Mm -hmm. I'm a feeler, but women who are thinkers, which is, I believe 25% of the population it's a little more. I actually think it's more like 40%. Is it 40%? I don't know the exact number, but yeah, it's not as skewed as you might think. Okay. Okay. I thought it was more skewed than that. So women who are thinkers and not feelers sometimes can seem less caring in their interactions. And I have some really good friends who are thinkers and they're not like super warm, cuddly people, Mm -hmm. although they're like really caring and compassionate people in many ways, it's different than how I like my caring Mm -hmm. and compassion is like a lot of exclamation points and things in all caps and a lot of emojis when I send texts and theirs are like, (laughs) yes, period. And so I'm like, don't they have like emotion to express about something in a text message? And I'm like, no, because if they're a thinker, they're very comfortable with like a one word or one line response that is not, doesn't have 18 emojis around. (laughs) Yeah. Like support it. So this is where I think in like looking at human interaction, I get really intrigued by typing in this way because I'm like, oh, then I can understand, like we can be really great friends and communicate really differently via text messaging. And that doesn't mean that like, you don't care about me as much as I care about you kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. The thinking feeling was probably the first helpful aspect of it for me too. maybe introversion, extroversion, but those two kind of stood out to me the most at first. And that's, it's really helpful for me in my relationship with my husband. My son has a preference for thinking and to be able to kind of understand that it's not personal yeah, for yeah. them. Like, cause for us as feelers, a lot of what we do is personal. And so having oh, that perspective gosh. that for not everyone, the things that they're doing and choosing to do are personal. And so it's not an attack on me. Right. Yeah. And sometimes thinkers, I also, I'm like, God, oh, they just have such good boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like, if you're a strong feeler, the bound, your boundaries get real great, real fast because you're like, Oh, but I just feel bad. And I want to make sure this person feels included. And like, there's like no end to sometimes the grain of boundaries. So yeah, it's, it can be a lot. 
I want to now you and I are just like going right into the language and people are like, wait, what the thinker, the feeler, <laughs> what does that mean? So mm-hmm. let's back up a minute. And can you give us an overview of what Myers-Briggs type is? And then can you talk about what I'm really excited about is how it relates to our kids as well. So go ahead and let's talk about kind of the overview and then we can dive into ourselves and our kids. Yeah. So what it looks at is how we make decisions and how we take in information from the world around us. And also a little bit how, where we get our energy. And it's, the model is denoted by four letters. So, you know, you've heard us say INFJ and and ENFJ and, you know, there's ISFP and whatever that each type is denoted by four letters and they each stand for something. So in each of the slots, you have two options. The first slot is introversion or extroversion, and that's the I or the E. And that's basically, do you get your energy from your outer world or do you get your energy from your inner world? This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs 
in special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. And this one can be a bit controversial because a lot of people are like, well, I'm both. Mm-hmm. And we are both like, you know, I'm someone who has a preference for introversion, but here I am extroverting with you. And a lot of my life is lived outside of myself and I can do that. And I've worked on a lot of those skills, but when it comes down to it, where do I get my energy? I get that from my inner world. And if I spend an entire week in my outer world, I'm going to be just drained and frustrated Mm -hmm. and not myself. Whereas if I spend an entire week in my inner world, then I'm energized and I'm ready to go out and kind of stretch and go back out to that outer world again. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you're an introvert Mm -hmm. and I'm an extrovert. Yes. So that's our one difference between our Yes. That's our one difference. (laughs) And you already have talked about how you're so excited for your four days alone for your writing retreat. Yes. And I, as an extrovert talked about how I was like, can I make it for 24 hours on my (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> with right. no connection to the outer world. So that's just right. like to give people an example. That's, yes. That's the two ends of the spectrum on that. Right. So go ahead. And then the second letter is going to be either S or N, which stands for sensing or intuition, even though I realize intuition starts with the letter I. <laughs> we use yes. N because I was already one. taken. And this has to do with how you take in information from the world. So On the sensing side, on the S side, people who have a preference for sensing, they prefer to take in information by focusing on the details, the facts, the practicalities of a matter. Whereas people on the intuition side, they prefer to look behind that. What's the meaning here? What's the deeper meaning? They like theories, they like ideas, and they like the big picture. So for you and I, we both are on the intuition side. Yes. And I will say it's taken me a while to embrace my N because I was raised by a strong S. And then I think also just because of some of the circumstances of our household, I didn't have, there wasn't a lot of places for me to explore my N side until I became Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. And then even as an entrepreneur, I still was like, no, like I follow things in a linear way and I Mm -hmm. want things to be a certain way. And there's a lot of specificity around how I like things to be. That's pretty specific, which gets into my J, which we'll get to in a minute. But what I've learned is when you talk about that theorizing as a sociology major and someone who loves to study human behavior, I'm like, I want to theorize all day long. And that's how, why I love the podcast. Like I can endlessly talk about people's experiences and creating theories around that. Why do we do the things we do? And like, all of that is so fascinating to me. So like, and I don't need, I mean, I enjoy data, but I don't need data. I can like study a room and be like, I can see what's happening in here. And I can see these people acting in a certain way. And I can define what that means. And a lot of people can't do that. Yeah. So it's not just like, cause I think sometimes ends are marketed as like the creatives who like to paint. And I'm like, that's right. not me. So it's not right. creative, like artsy. I mean, it could be artsy creative, but it's also this intuition in terms of how you sense, how you pick up on things in the world and, and intuit things. Yeah. And I have a similar experience to you. I had a hard time finding myself as an, as intuition at first, but I would like to interject that also as an Enneagram one. Oh yeah. I think that makes this more difficult for us to find because of Enneagram one, we're looking at that perfectionism and you have, we have to stretch to our sensing side in order to achieve that perfectionism. So what we're doing to ourselves here, because one of the things about Myers-Briggs is that 
you can do either side. Like all of us can develop skills on either side, Yeah. but one of them drains you more than the other. One of them is more frustrating, more awkward. And one of the other one gives you energy and, you know, brings you that joy and that energy. And so what we're doing as an Enneagram one is we have probably both you and I, though we get energy from that big picture and the theories and the ideas, we force ourselves constantly to stretch to the other side. And we're putting ourselves in an exhausting place mm-hmm. when we do that. So that's something that yes. I learned was really important for my mental health was that, oh, when I'm in my Enneagram personality, I'm exhausting myself. That makes so much sense. Like, yeah, putting together data. And like creating spreadsheets, Mm -hmm. I can do that. And the, my perfectionist sometimes needs to do that. Mm -hmm. And also, oh, it sucks so much energy. Yeah. Well, and it's like, we love that too, because we like patterns. Intuitives love patterns. And so seeing the patterns that you can glean and the meanings and the big picture that you get out of the data is really satisfying, but the effort to all those minute details that we have to Mm -hmm. put in to get that out, that's where we get exhausted. Yes. One on 100, like the creating of the spreadsheet, the putting the titles at the top and (laughs) yeah, all those. Okay. I love it. Go ahead. So then the third letter pairing is thinking or feeling, which we already briefly talked about. And that's the T or the F. And this has to do with how we make decisions. So on the thinking side, these people prefer to step out of a situation emotionally when they are making a decision, considering only the objective logical data points. Mm. And on the feeling side, we prefer to step into a situation emotionally to make a decision considering feelings, emotions, values of ourselves and of those around us. That totally makes sense. <laughs> and again, we can all do both of these things. And this is something yeah. that, you know, we, if no matter which one we are, we have probably trained ourselves to do the other side as well. But if yeah. you think about like, what's the first instinct and which one's harder to do and takes more effort that will help you kind of sort it out. Cause you know, as someone, especially like, you know, in our culture, I say we are kind of pushed toward in general, depends on, you know, the family you were born in, whatever else, but in the American culture, we're kind of pushed toward the type E S T J. So that's extroversion, sensing, Mm. thinking, and judging. And as Enneagram ones, we want to be good and we want to be right. And so we probably, you and I have pushed, tried to push ourselves toward ESTJ. And so thinking again was something that I was mistyping as in the beginning until I really looked at like, if I have to make a decision that really leaves the emotions out that I know is going to like, you know, hurt someone else. That is so painful for me. Oh, it's like impossible. Like I would just rather make a poor decision that includes someone. <laughs> and for me, it's like, I can I do have, it. Like I then, have made the wrong right. decision because I'm like, I don't want to hurt their feelings. So I'll just make a stupid decision so that this person's <laughs> feelings aren't hurt. Right. And I can do it and I can be like, okay, I know that I need to make this, but then I fret about it so much yes. afterward. And if you're someone on the thinking side, it's probably not as much of a struggle for you. In it's fact, so, it's- yeah, it's like so black and white in terms of like, this is just what needs to be done in this moment. And so this is what's going to happen. And I, oh my gosh, I can't, (laughs) but I will say if we make that decision sometimes to not hurt someone's feelings at our own expense, there's a lot of like dread and potential regret and resentment that comes with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It can be a lot to navigate. It is a lot. 
So then the last letter pairing is judging versus perceiving. And so that's the J or the P. And I just want people to kind of erase the definition that you think of when you think of the word judging. This has nothing to do with whether or not you are judgmental. I think people on either side of this one can be a judgmental human being has nothing to do with that. What it is actually looking at is, and this is complicated wording, but I have never found a better way to word it, is how you orient yourself to your outer or inner world. So of people who prefer judging, they like to put control over their outer world Mm -hmm. by planning. I'm like vigorously nodding my head. (laughs) By deciding, by structuring. Mm -hmm. People who prefer perceiving, they prefer to take the outer world as it comes to them by fitting into it, by staying open, flexible, and spontaneous. Yes. And if you're a strong J, you're like, hell no on the spontaneous. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or within bounds. Like I will be spontaneous as long as I know it will not go too far this way or that way. Right. If I can plan and schedule my spontaneity, I'm all in. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to be spontaneous on Sunday from 11 to 1130 (laughs) a.m. Right. I love it. So this was super helpful. And I'm sure people were kind of gauging where they fall in all of these. So can you talk about, so there's an assessment for adults to take and which I've taken and many people, a lot of workplaces require it. This is many people are familiar with the adult assessment. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about anything else you want to say about the adult assessment for sure? But then I also am really curious about kids because my understanding is there's not a kid's assessment yeah. So the, the main like message that I try and get out there about the mm-hmm. assessments for Myers-Briggs, and I think it applies for Enneagram as well, is that they're not super accurate. We really want there to be like, tell me what type I am. But mm-hmm. unfortunately it's not that easy. Even the main MBTI, which is what I'm certified through. And I do use it as one piece of the puzzle in my work. It's just not hundred percent accurate. And you can go look up the stats and, and see that, no, it's not hundred percent accurate. Right. In fact, you know, I'd say with the people that I work with about 50%, maybe even a little more than 50% get at least one letter. We find out when we go through the process Mm. is incorrect. So you can start with like either an online quiz or, you know, a, a paid assessment, but I would never, ever, ever rely on that as truth. It's just a good place to start. The best way to really pick your type is to really understand the model and do a lot of self-reflection based on it. Mm. Which is kind of the Enneagram too. Like you can take an online assessment, but if you start to read through how you're your best Enneagram number or at your worst in each Enneagram number, then you're like, oh, through that analysis, um, as I'm making up words through that analysis, you can really see like, oh, this is where I fit into this. And there becomes a lot more clarity than trying to answer questions that sometimes you might answer different whether or not you've had lunch that day. Right. There's so much nuance and there's so much, well, it depends. Like sometimes I feel like an extrovert. Sometimes I feel like an introvert and going into those, it depends scenarios is really helpful with someone who understands the model can be really helpful. There's also a deeper level of Myers-Briggs that um, most people aren't aware of where the letters actually work together to change how you express your type. So like someone who uses feeling like we talked about, which is where you like to step into a situation emotionally to make a decision. When you combine that with the J at the end, it's very different. If you prefer feeling and you combine it with the P it's actually two different Mm. types of feeling. And so that can be helpful to figuring out your type too. If there's like one letter, like, I don't know if I like, I'm trying to choose between INTJ and INTP you know, that can be helpful to have that knowledge. Yeah. Oh, that's super and interesting. Then, I didn't know that. 
Yeah. So then for kids, there also is an assessment. It's called the MM tick and I'm certified in that as well. But again, it's the same deal. I wouldn't rely on it. And that's only for kids who are second grade reading level and above. Um, and I do work with families who have kids younger that than oh, that. So for that, do kids self-assess then? Mm-hmm. Like the assessment yeah. is for kids to do themselves versus like your a parent filling it out for them. Yeah. Doesn't okay. that mean that you, they oh, can kind of tell you here's who I am. Uh, yeah. But again, I, you know, I wouldn't rely on that. Okay. And so it's really about understanding the model. And I do have, I just released like a few weeks ago, an online course. And this is especially great if you have younger kids. So younger that can't take the assessment themselves yet or a child who just isn't interested or mature Mm -hmm. enough to tell you their own type preferences. I have a course now where you as a parent can take the course and it'll help you sort out your child's best fit Myers-Briggs type based on the, you know, the behaviors that you notice in your interaction with them. Oh, that's super exciting. That's awesome. And also like so valuable. Can you talk about why is it helpful for us to know our kids type? Like what's the value in that? Yeah. So there's so much you can get out of it. My favorite is being able to see the positives in some of the behaviors you may perceive more as negative in your child. Right. So we Mm -hmm. talked about, you talked about with your friends, you know, seeing the more like blunt, straightforward text messages and how that's, you know, kind of difficult in you and understanding why it is that they respond that way has helped you. But also if you can see the positive of someone who is different from you, then you can appreciate it even more. And so I love being able to flip those children behaviors. So like, you know, my son is constantly arguing with me. All he does is push Mm. back and that's really frustrating and really annoying. Probably if you have a child who's like that, they are, you know, a T on the Myers-Briggs, but there's Mm. reasons why sometimes the F can also, but the strength of that, being able to see that like, oh, these types are so good at logically figuring things out. They are so good at, especially if it's a T combined with a J, they're really good at getting things done and being really efficient, probably more productive than other kids their age. And every single one of these things has a flip side. Like my kid is, you know, incredibly emotional and they melt down anytime I give them any sort of feedback. Well, they're probably also really empathetic. And really care. Okay. So are meltdowns a sign of an F then (laughs) I might be asking for personal experience. (laughs) It depends on what causes the meltdown. Okay. Okay. Right. So if it's, you know, any sort of like criticism or feedback, then Mm, yeah, that's probably a sign of a a super helpful preference. I wanted to point out as you were talking about your son, like someone who pushes back and, you know, argumentative. So I have a child who never stops talking. Okay. Talks (laughs) very loud. And like my husband and I, when we go on road trips, we're like, we try to get him all set up with like his headphones and his iPad. And then we're like, my husband and I are like, we're going to listen to our own podcast, like up in the front seat. And inevitably we'll be like seven minutes into the podcast. And my son will see something and whatever he's watching, he'll take off the headphones. And then he wants to spend the next two hours talking about that thing. <laughs> and we're like, Oh my God. And then we try to gently be like, yeah. So watch the rest of the show and let us know what happens. And he's like, he can't stop talking. Like he wants to externally <laughs> process all of it. And yeah, it's so much. <laughs> yeah. My daughter's a bit like that too. I, maybe not to the same extreme as your son, but that it's definitely like, she keeps having to pop her headphones off and tell her what joke just happened and what just happened in this. And then let me talk about that in my life and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, yeah, we're trying to listen to a show here. This is right. like the 10th time we've had to pause it. <laughs> right. Like, do not interrupt my armchair expert, please. <laughs> I will also say with 
with the pandemic, what's been one of the things that was helpful for me in recognizing that my son has some strong potential to be an extrovert is when he was really isolated. So he's an only child and being isolated, doing virtual learning. We just started seeing him. And I think a lot of parents saw this, like where I was like, he is like, definitely losing his shine (laughs) over time and like harder bedtimes and not sleeping Mm. well. And like, just what became clear over time, I was thinking and speculating was this lack of connection with other kids, which potentially could happen with an introvert or extrovert. But for a kid who I think might be a pretty extreme extrovert to be in isolation from other children for such long periods of time, I speculated like this could be more traumatic for him than potentially for a child that's an introvert. And when we got back into in-person learning, it was amazing how quickly he shifted back into like bedtimes were fine. And like his mm-hmm. attitude shifted. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like this child needs to be with other children in an in-person learning environment. Like it's yeah. really remarkable to see that. Yeah. And it's, it's valuable information to have. And there's different, each of the types, mm-hmm. you know, based, but have a different type of introversion or extroversion too. So, right. Like there's your type as an ENFJ, you are a connecting with other people extrovert. Mm -hmm. And then there is, let's see, let me give it another example. ESFPs and ESTPs. They're the type of extroverts that need to be interacting with their environment and like trying things physically. So like they need to be like either like whether it's doing sports or whether it's like, you know, interacting with like, I'm trying to think of something that's not sporty because a lot of people, you know, stereotype ESFPs and ESTPs as sporty and they're not all, Mm, but but just something physical. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like, you know, being an inquirer and like singing and having that sort of expression, but it's something using the body to interact with your environment is that type of extra. And so anyway, there's different types. So it could be the social that he was lacking or something else that school brings him that helps him be out in his outer world. Oh, that's super interesting. Fascinating. And then the other thing is, you know, besides being able to like reframe your child's behavior is also you, there's just some really like practical, helpful advice (laughs) that you can tailor to your child. Because I feel like all those parenting books out there, you know, they are telling you like, do this. If your child, you know, if your child is, you know, we'll go way back to when they were little having trouble potty training, like, you know, Mm -hmm. here's the steps, but it, every time I read that, it's like, yeah, that works for my older child. Doesn't work for my younger child Mm -hmm. or vice versa. And so this really tailors it to what exactly motivates your child. (laughs) What exactly do they need? How is their experience of the world? And how can you tailor your parenting to meet that and just make a, like a better dynamic in the whole family? Oh, that's so fascinating. I remember some, my son's nine. And when he was between like three and six with many of his peers, I remember having so many conversations with parents around like, what's your kid's currency? Like, Mm. you know, like my child with potty training was really motivated to earn certain things. And then like, wouldn't care at all about other, like he didn't care about like earning an M&M for going potty on the potty, but we had gotten these like Thomas, the train, we got this huge bin of Thomas, the train hand me literally like over a hundred Thomas, the trains, (laughs) which this sounds really ridiculously indulgent. He did not get them every time he peed, but every time he pooped, he could pick out a train. And it was like, mm-hmm. that was his currency. But then other yeah. friends I had, they were like, my kid has no currency. This kid will be in diapers yes. forever. <laughs> like he's that's, motivated that's my daughter, just, like motivated by nothing and is mm-hmm. totally fine being in a diaper and like pushing, you know, four and a half. And like, are we going to kindergarten <laughs> diapers? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. So different. And so that value of being able to know what motivates is really helpful. Yeah. And that, you know, we talked about the judging versus perceiving, which is judging Mm -hmm. is wanting control over your outer world by deciding, planning it, it, structuring and perceiving is more like taking the world as it come and fitting into it. 
my children have a difference in this one. My son Mm -hmm. prefers judging. My daughter has a preference for perceiving and the perceiving is really nice because they're so flexible and they're just kind of like, Oh, we're going to go here now. Great. Oh, we're going to do this now. Great. And it's nice, especially in a younger child to have that (laughs) because they have to have a lot of that flexibility, but where the problem comes is things like that. There's nothing that incentivizes her to do something for the future because for her, it's Mm -hmm. all about what's happening right now. And she can't hold this like future thing in her head. So trying to do charts and stuff like that worked so well for my son. He'd be like, Oh, I get to earn this a super cool Beyblade set by, you know, doing my chore every morning. Great. Yeah. I've got it. I will check that <laughs> chore off the list and I will get to that end goal and I will follow through. And my daughter's like, Oh sure. Oh, that sounds neat. You want to get me my favorite princess thing. Okay. And then she'll do it like once. And then she'll be like, mm, I don't really feel like it right now. Yeah. So I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> it's okay. like, it's much more about what's in the moment. So, you know, some things work for some kids and some don't. And so understanding their personality type and what works for them is really helpful. I would also imagine this relates to how your child transitions between activities and like just in their day-to-day life. And so like I had a child who did not transition well, like Mm -hmm. school drop-off was a Mm -hmm. or daycare drop-off was like a big freaking thing for a really (laughs) long time. And sometimes still like, I mean, Mm -hmm. even yeah, there's still transitions for us where things, if something's different than the norm, Mm. we're like, okay, here we go. Yeah. And so to your point around, like letting them know in advance and letting them know, like, Hey, on Thursday, something's going to be different this week. (laughs) And like letting them know four days in advance, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas like one kid might have that total go with the flow and be like, sure, cool, whatever. I don't care where another kid might be like, I need like 96 hours to process this new thing. That's going to be happening. That's outside. I'm still not ready for it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super helpful. Yeah. I Um, that same, my son, I couldn't transition him into preschool and then I couldn't transition him out of it. (laughs) At the end of the day, I was like, it took an hour to get you out of my arms this morning. And now you don't want to leave. Right. Yeah. That that transitioning from one thing to another was very hard for him. And that's that's typical of kids with a judging preference, especially if it's like introversion and judging. Um, Mm. And then there's other things that can play into that as well. Interesting. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, 
best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So I want to talk specifically a little bit about go with the flow. And you mentioned this in our the form we fill out for pre-interview stuff. And I was laughing to myself because you said like my Myers-Briggs types makes it hard for me to quote unquote, go with the flow. Mm. I'm also not a go with the flow person, but I like really want, I aspire to be a go with the flow person. (laughs) And my kid is not a go with the flow person, but I'm Mm. always trying to like make it seem like it's really great if we could like go with the flow and like, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to model it, even though it's not me. And then it's not, (laughs) and so, which just becomes funny at a certain point. I'm like, let's just stop pretending. But can you talk a little bit about what it has been like for you, your entry into motherhood when you don't have that go with the flow personality type, which I really struggled with going into motherhood. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, I remember talking to us, I had a colleague who's a children's sleep specialist. And my son was three weeks old. And I remember reaching out to her and being like, Hey, like, when does the schedule start? (laughs) Like, I'm like, I'm trying and we're, it's not working. And she so kindly replied. She's like, so I don't want to disappoint you, but your child is not going to be on any sort of a schedule for at least six months. And I remember feeling like devastated. Like there's, I can't go with the flow for six months. Like that is absolutely not possible. And that's ridiculous for anyone to expect that of any human being. And so can you talk about your entry into motherhood and what that kind of looked like for you and your mental health and your ability to go with the flow or not? Yeah. So as an INFJ, right, I have that judging preference, which means I do want to have control over my outer world and put my outer world in control. And then also this is like kind of when we're talking about the deeper layer of Myers-Briggs and how the letters work together. But if you are an N and a J, which you are too, and by the way, those types, the N and the Js, there's four types, INTJ, INFJ, ENTJ, and ENFJ. We are the four rarest types in Myers-Briggs because this particular, we are this particular combination. NJ is super rare. But one of our superpowers is gaining insights. So we've taken all the information around us and we like to glean it into this one clear insight and it can be a super great positive. And we also want to apply that to the future or very future oriented. And so we can have this beautiful vision for our future that we have put together. And we also drive really hard at it to make it happen. And as you can imagine, that can be a big positive. I assume that's how you built your business. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's how I've d- accomplished a lot of things in my life. And so I've always seen it as a positive, but also one of the downsides is that we can be very attached to a vision despite real life circumstances that are happening that are mm-hmm. maybe, maybe implying that this vision isn't going to happen, but we can kind of put those blinders on mm-hmm. and keep driving at it. And so this is something that has been a theme in my life and how it showed up in motherhood is, you know, I started trying to have a family in my late twenties. And I had this vision that it was going to be, I wanted three kids and I wanted them 18 months apart. I wanted them really close. That was, you know, I could go in all my reasons for that, but we won't <laughs> we'll just say like, <laughs> this was the vision. Right. And I felt very attached to it and everything else in my life that I've done, I have kept that vision. And if I drive hard enough at it, I get it. And 
after I got pregnant the first time, it took me longer than I thought it would to get pregnant. And then after I got pregnant, the first time I lost that pregnancy Mm. and I wasn't going to let that stop me. I have this beautiful vision, right? Right. So I got pregnant again pretty quickly and I lost that pregnancy also. And I, this was so unexpected for me. I was not, I didn't have any miscarriage in my family that I knew of. I was one of the first of my friends to start building a family. I didn't know anyone who'd gone through it. So it was so shocking and so unexpected and also not what was in the plan. Like, (laughs) does it, my body or, you know, what's happening, understand that this is like, I have a time, like, you know, my husband's older than me. I wanted to make sure we had kids before he reached a certain age. And like, this is not fitting with the plan. And also, you know, the grief and the heartbreak and the, the physical thing that you go through when you go through, you know, all the first trimester symptoms only to then go through a miscarriage and all the physical trauma that you go through with that. Yeah. But did I stop and say, Hmm, maybe I need to wait a little longer before we build our family and grieve this and, you know, work on this. I was working on my, on a teaching credential at the time and like finish that out. No, (laughs) I still had my vision. It was still really important and I wasn't ready to pivot. And so we got pregnant again and this pregnancy ended up, you know, being successful in, in that it resulted in my son. It was a really difficult pregnancy. I had high anxiety. I was expecting to mm-hmm. lose him at any moment because I didn't at this point know what had caused the first two. Right. I had bed rest because there were preterm labor concerns. It was very like high stress, difficult pregnancy. But my son was born healthy. He was colicky. I had like the hardest time with him. He never slept. I had postpartum anxiety up the wazoo. Did I stop and wait a couple of years before I had nope. another child? <laughs> no, sure I did not. <laughs> the plan was three kids and they're going to be 18 months apart. And now I'm like a year behind because of how long it took to have the first one. Right. So I just kept going. And long story short, it was six pregnancies, oh, four gosh. miscarriages. <gasps> I ended wow. up doing IVF because we did find out what the problem was. And IVF could help you test the chromosomes and get a successful pregnancy. So my daughter ended up being through IVF. Mm. And I had worked myself into such a point by this point that because I just blinders, you know what I mean? And I wasn't looking at the practical realities of what was going on and adjusting and pivoting. I was just driving forward and I drove myself. I had the worst postpartum depression Mm -hmm. with my daughter and it plagued me for several years. You know, I was in and out of depression Mm. and in reflecting on it, you know, I did that to myself and not to say that there weren't, you know, obviously there's hormones play a role and it wasn't my fault. I was having miscarriages, but I did it to myself in that. I couldn't see, I wouldn't let myself see any other possibilities. I wouldn't let myself pivot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not a strength of people with this type is pivoting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that has been a really big insight for me. It's been something that has been a big part of my development as a mom. Mm -hmm. is learning how to pivot. Even in my business is something I'm not good at, but now that I have that big life experience and understanding of myself and my patterns, I make myself stop and ask every once in a while, okay, am I just driving at this because I think this is the only way, or is it good that I'm still driving towards this one thing? I have to ask myself that in my business all the time. Like this one thing that I developed that was the perfect vision didn't work. And what I want to do is drive harder at it. I'm just going to market it more. I'm just going to like, you know, try and get out there more. And maybe sometimes the better question is, oh, maybe I need to pivot. Maybe that wasn't it. And you need to try something else. Oh my goodness. I relate to so much of this. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I know that's a lot to share on a podcast in a public way. So thank you so much. 
we went through a multiple year infertility journey. And when you were like, I had a miscarriage. So I just immediately started trying to get pregnant again. And it's almost, of course, there's like the emotional trauma and physical trauma that goes with the miscarriage, but that like stick with itness is so like it's in your DNA. So it's not, there's no question of like, should we try again? Should we not? Like, and when we were going through all of our things um, and we learned at a certain point, we couldn't get pregnant naturally. And I remember like just jumping to like, okay, well then we'll do it this way. And just, I'll do the research and we'll figure it out. And like, not even really being emotionally invested in the game, but really being like in this action taking mode that was like sheer determination and discipline. And I think it probably was like ENFJ, but also in Enneagram one Mm -hmm. that like, I don't fail. So I'm just (laughs) going to keep taking steps. (laughs) And so then when we went, we actually went through this again with my trying to get pregnant a second time, Mm. which did fail. And we had this, like, kind of, we're drawing this line in the sand. We're willing to try up to this point and then we're going to be done. Mm -hmm. And I went into that thinking like, I felt very like, whatever happens, I'm good. We hit the jackpot once. I'm cool. If this doesn't happen, if we don't have Mm. a second child and then it didn't work. And I, we went through IVF and it didn't work. And we were like, okay, now we're done, done. And Mm. I had so much unexpected emotional Mm. trauma that came out of that. And what a friend said to me, and I was like, yeah, you're totally right. She said, are you, cause I was like, I don't understand how I was like really ambivalent about this outcome until it didn't work. And she's like, well, do you think that part of it was that you're, you were tied to like controlling the outcome and getting the thing you were going after and like, quote unquote, winning or getting an A on the test or like getting the thing, like you're not used to being someone who doesn't get what you go after. Mm-hmm. And so is it that? And and I was like, you're totally right. Like it's both, it's both. And like, yes, right. I'm sad. We're not having a second. I, there's a lot of reasons to grieve that. And also like, I don't stop until I get what I want. So mm-hmm. to be in this place of like, and now we're stopping was a very unfamiliar place to me. That was very hard, very tricky. Yeah, And I'm sorry to hear that. It's interesting though. I mean, thank you. I appreciate that. But it's really interesting when you tie it to type to be able to look like, oh, that's why I couldn't step back. Like that's why I couldn't step back and see like I, to see the bigger picture at all. Right. And I'm sure in your life that has served you as well. And so totally thought, well, it's going to serve me well now too, you know, exactly. I mean, this is why I was able to build a thriving business when the economy collapsed in 2008 and why I've been able to continue to keep my business running during the, during the pandemic, because I'm like, I'll keep going. Like the worse the conditions, the better I will be (laughs) Yes. Okay. Oh my goodness. This has been so, so fascinating and so great. Can you give us any practical examples of how to use the Myers-Briggs to improve how we communicate with people in our lives, whether it's our partner, whether it's our children, and that might be too broad of a question, but any kind of like last tips on how to use this in our communication? Yeah. Let's go back to the thinking and feeling. That's a good one for people to kind of understand, but you know, you're stepping into a situation, emotionally make a decision, or are you stepping out? And my kids, again, they have a difference and my kids have a difference in every single preference pair, except for the wow. introversion extroversion. They both have a present preference for introversion, but other than that, they, all the others are different. Interesting. And so this, I'm going to go back to when they're little kids and it, this applies really, really, really well with older kids too. And teenagers, especially I love when I get to work with families with teenagers, because it's like, they can participate and own the process. But a lot of my examples are with little kids, just because that's my experience so far with, you know, having children. Right. Right. But I have an example from a couple years ago. So my kids were four and six. My son has a preference for thinking. My daughter has a preference for feeling and they were coloring in the next room from me. And 
I overheard my daughter ask my son, do you like my coloring? Do you like my drawing? And, you know, obviously she was looking for, you know, approval or validation. And so I kind of held my breath because that's not really in my son's uh, (laughs) strong suit. And he said, no, I don't like it. Oh, geez. He said, you colored out of the lines. Oh, also pink is ugly. Oh, (laughs) right. He's six. Right. And so I was like, okay. And then I hear her just start crying because my daughter takes pretty much everything personally. Yeah. So I walk into the room to kind of like help sort things out. And, you know, my first reaction could have been, why is he being so mean? Like, why is he telling her that he doesn't like her drawing? That's mean. He made her cry, but having an understanding of type and knowing that he was at that time, I was pretty sure he had a preference for thinking. And now he has confirmed that for me, (laughs) understanding that for Kids who with a preference for thinking, they prefer to step out of a situation emotionally when they're making a decision. So when he was trying to decide what to say, the idea that she might have an emotional reaction to it wasn't even factoring in. That wasn't even there. Like that didn't even occur to him. It wasn't like, I think this is going to make her cry and I'm going to do it. Like it's not intentional. It's not malicious. Right. The way he was considering was what is the objective logical truth here? And he, somewhere along the way, had learned that good coloring stays in the lines. And also it's a helpful function. People who use thinking, they're not trying to be malicious. They're trying to be helpful. And they actually would want someone to tell them if something is yeah. not right. So yeah, because they wouldn't take it personally. Yeah, they wouldn't like take it Like a feeler personally. would. Right. So he's like, oh, it, let me help mm. you. Let me tell you what's wrong with what you just did. You colored out of the lines. That's an ugly color. Well, that one's a little more subjective, right? But probably objectively, it felt true to him. And so that was the first is understanding, okay, this wasn't malicious. And then the second thing that really helped me in that situation was knowing that he has a preference for judging. And when you combine thinking with judging, these kids are really rules-based. They Mm -hmm. understand the world through rules and they can navigate social situations better if you can give them a rule to follow. But big, but they have to buy into the rule. They have to understand why to follow the rule. But if they do, they will follow the rule every time. They are rules kind of kids. So I had to logically explain to him why what he said hurt his sister's feelings. Like, you know, you told her that you didn't like her drawing and that it was bad because it was coloring out of the lines. And so when she heard that, she thought her drawing was bad and that that makes her a bad artist. And so it made her feel bad about herself. And then she cried, right? So I took him logically step-by-step through how his word caused her reaction. Oh, here's a rule that you could follow next time to help avoid that. Anytime someone asks if you like their drawing, you can say, you don't say, that you don't like it. Instead, you can say one thing you do like about it and one thing you would have done differently. And Mm. he's never done it again. He's never, ever told someone he doesn't like their drawing again. And so it's just like, you know, combining a couple different letters there. But if you have these little things that you can follow, you can really help them without shaming them, making them feel bad about their kind of natural way of doing things. You can help them navigate situations. I love it. Oh my gosh. That makes so much sense. So good. good. I'm laughing as I think about the children I know who would be very much like your son. (laughs) No, that you did not stay in the lines and that is not a good color. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So funny. Oh my goodness, Sandra, this has been so good. And I were already technically past time. (laughs) There's so many, I knew going into this, I was like, there's so many things I want to talk about with this. So I appreciate you being here. Can you tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? Yeah. So this trip that I'm taking next week, that vacation, 
I have a really hard time doing this. My first reaction is I can't believe I'm leaving my kids. I can't believe I'm making my husband take over for a week. I can't like, I'm being so selfish. So anytime any of those thoughts occur, I'm correcting them with affirmations. Mm. I deserve to, you know, show up in my passion. My passion is helping people. I, you know, whatever the affirmation is in the moment that con- contradicts the first thought. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing is I'm giving myself permission to do this. And I'm encouraging myself that it is an okay thing to do. Yes, it is an okay thing to do. It's a very, the world needs you to do it because the world needs your work. <laughs> I'll leave you with that affirmation. Thank you. Can you tell people where they can find you, how they can connect with you, how they can get your tools and all that kind of good stuff? I'm family personalities everywhere. So it's familypersonalities.com. You can find me on Instagram at family personalities. I post a lot of stuff about like, you know, is you have an INFJ kid, here's what they're like. And those are really fun to read. And if you're interested in that online course to figure out your child's Myers-Briggs type, that's at familypersonalities.com and click on courses. Okay. And I also have a family dynamics program where I work with your family and help you sort out everyone's type in the family. So your type, your parenting partner's type, your kids types. And then I help teach you about those types and how to work better with one another, how to approach discipline with your child or whatever specific problem you're working with. And you can find that on the website. Also, if you click on services. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay. So we will link everything up in the show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com and click on the episode with Sandra Etherington, did I say Mm -hmm. it right? Yeah. Did you put your pinky up? Nobody didn't put my pinky up. So I'm doing it again. Sandra Etherington. You can find all those links to her website, to social media. And then from the website, like you said, you can click, people can click through to find the course and services with you as well. Oh, this has been so good. Thank you so much, Sandra. I really appreciate this. I appreciate you taking the time and I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's always fun to talk about it with people who get as much joy out of it as I do. Oh my gosh. So, so fun. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? 
This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.